thank you that they will hear good, solid Bible teaching this morning. Help it to build on the foundation that you are growing in each one of them, that they will grow up knowing you and your truth. Thank you for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, I don't know how you're going to take me seriously after all those pictures that Rick put in the slideshow, but um, I guess that's not entirely a new phenomenon either. Hello, extended wrist family. If you're new here, I am the interim senior pastor, usually the uh, associate pastor, while Dr. Dave Silvernail is out on sabbatical. And I'm usually up there leading, but it was a treat to worship with my family, and thank you, music team. That was excellent, fantastic. So if you have your bulletin outline, your Bibles, um, going to work through a new parable this week as we make our way through Matthew. We will, should be done in just a few months in the Gospel of Matthew by the end of October. You'll see there the intro that things go wrong at weddings. You may have some stories of your own to tell that you've witnessed or been a part of, uh, but it seems like something always goes wrong. And whether it's small or large. And uh, thankfully, my own wedding, Kath and my wedding, uh, not too much went wrong. I do have a very vivid memory of, of waiting uh, in the wings before we were to go out. My twin brother was playing classical guitar as the uh, prelude. And his cue to stop was my grandfather processing down uh, as the last of the grandparents. Grandpa Dorst was not the most... Uh, timely man, uh, so I just have a very vivid memory of my brother looking over going and starting back in. Da, na, 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 na. He played that thing with the Yesu Joy Man's Desiring probably 30 times. But not too much went wrong. Um, unlike the rehearsal dinner, or rehearsal that uh, all the groomsmen and I were 45 minutes late to, just trying on tux and then traffic and but it was actually better than my cousin Steve's wedding where we were playing paintball and missed the rehearsal entirely. <laughs> Something always goes wrong, right? Uh, thankfully, not many of the weddings that I've officiated at, not much have gone wrong. Brian and Suzanne are a little nervous at this point because they're the next wedding I'll be a part of. Uh, people flub lines. We've had a couple people almost faint, but uh, not too much, not, not too bad. Uh, my dad, who was a, is a minister, has been for 30 or so years, has, has a lot of great stories. Uh, two that he told me, there was one where he was this close to calling off the wedding because the bride was nowhere to be found. Well before cell phones, nobody knew. It. She had gone out to get her nephew a haircut, and there was just a big line. And she just didn't make it back. And I think she got there right before he stopped and sent everybody home. Um, 
But uh, the other one that he was a part of uh, that was very memorable was when the bride cried through the entire service because her mom got up at the beginning and uh, on her way storming out said, it's not too late to change your mind. That one was a little awkward. But none of our experiences compare to some of these wedding disasters that I've read about. In South Africa, a bride and groom and 80 guests were standing on a wooden deck, a dock that collapsed, dropping them into the water below. And uh, the wheelchair-bound mother and the baby and 88-year-old grandmother had to be rescued. At a wedding in a castle in Austria, the bride tempting a little humor, said, I don't at one point, but quickly corrected herself and said, I'm just kidding. Well, the officiant, by law, had to stop the wedding, say, nope, if anyone says this cannot proceed, we have to stop, can't schedule it for another 10 weeks. So watch what you say. (laughs) An Italian couple hired a single-seat plane to fly past and throw the bouquet for for the bride. Problem was, it got stuck in the propeller. Exactly. The the plane's engine actually caught on fire, and the plane crashed into the hostel next door. Uh, A couple more. It's going too long. I don't know. August 2003, a woman in Connecticut, these get worse, Uh, got so intoxicated at her reception that she started throwing cake and decorations at her husband. The police were called when she raised a fuss because the bar had stopped serving alcohol. Um, She attempted to bite an officer, and when she was placed in the back of the police car, she actually kicked the back window out of its track. So she spent her first night behind bars of her married life. A couple in New York decided to get married for the second time. They had been divorced and separated for a while. Everything was going fine with the second ceremony until the groom had a a verbal quarrel with one of the guests who then called the police and told the police that there was actually a restraining order on the groom to not be near the bride. And so he was arrested and charged with first-degree criminal contempt for being too close to his bride. So clearly many things can and do go wrong during a wedding weekend, whether it's the rehearsal, the ceremony, or the reception. Today's passage is a parable that Jesus tells about something that went wrong at a wedding. It centers on the actions of the bridesmaids and their inattention to detail. Of course, it's not a parable that's concerned with making sure we get, uh, that we act right at weddings, but one that has a deeper truth that teaches us how to live in light of the greatest day, the greatest celebration that will ever come. So let's read Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. 
As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Lord God, give us wisdom as we read this passage, as we look for the truth that it contains, even as it's a different culture than ours. Help us to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage. May we grow from it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this parable, if you've been with us, we're, we're talking through what's called the Olivet Discourse, just a few chapters that uh, in the end of Matthew that Jesus delivers on the Mount of Olives. And so much of it is focused on the end, right? And Jesus is trying to teach Christ followers how to live in the present, in light of future certainties. And some people may ask, why do we have so much about the end times? Why is Jesus so focused on this? I mean, he's about to die. He's about to be betrayed, go through the last week of his life, through the suffering, the passion. And what I think we need to understand is clearly Jesus wants his followers to know how things will end so that they can frame their lives to be appropriate to that ending. Imagine getting dropped off in a foreign country. But the people that, you, that dropped you off, they don't tell you anything about how long you'll be there or what you're going to do. Uh, you have no idea if you're going to be spending a day, a week, a year longer. It's really hard to know what to do, where to live, whether you should find work, learn the language, all of these decisions that you're going to have to make. You need to know what you're expecting, how this is all going to end. You'll act very differently if you know you just have to survive two or three days than if you know you're going to be there for a long time, maybe the rest of your life. And I think our lives are like that. We need some idea of where we're headed to know what's important. We need to start with the ending. If you work on projects, you need a, an idea, a vision of what that project's going to be like at the end to know how to work towards it. We need that in our lives. And Jesus gives us that in, uh, as we read through these parables and these teachings. Live life in light of knowing that Jesus will come back or that you will die and stand before Him, before God. 
Know that there are, these things are certainties. That will remind you to live in a way that honors God. If you think that there will be no day of judgment or reckoning, if you think, really, if you think there's no life after death, you're going to live much differently. Um, and there's really no reason to love God, to pursue Him, to pursue the things of the Spirit until you understand. So Jesus gives us this parable. As we start to look at the text, it's obvious that we're dealing here with a very different culture's custom of weddings. This doesn't look like how we do weddings. In, in weddings today, right, the, the bridal party gets ready in one part of the church, if it's at a church. I've done a ton of outside weddings now, but you know the, the groom party gets ready in another part of the church. Everybody meets up front. It's all pretty easy. Um, but Jesus is obviously referring to a very different custom that his listeners would have been familiar with. The bridesmaids would come to the home of the bride, the bridal attendants, and there they would await the arrival of the groom. No one knew exactly when the groom would come, at least in this parable. And, but when he did, they would then have a procession to the groom's home. Uh, where the feast would then be celebrated. Obviously, that assumes that you're marrying someone from your hometown, not a very far walk. It doesn't work great today when someone, the bride's from Virginia and the groom's from Texas. You're not going to be doing that. Uh, one thing I want to point out in the Greek, the, uh, the word parthenos is translated as virgins. Uh, in the ESV, most of the modern translations, most major translations, uh, can mean maiden or unmarried woman. I think our modern equivalent, I'm probably going to be saying bridesmaid a lot, and you may be looking for that in your text, but I think that's our modern equivalent about what they're talking about. Ten bridesmaids seems a little excessive, but not unheard of, then or now. The major problem that half of the bridesmaids have is that they have not brought enough oil to supply their lamps for the procession, right? Jesus says that right out. They were foolish. They've been careless in their preparations. Apparently, the procession needed everyone to have their lanterns lit. Uh, and this is not a small oversight, apparently, that they can just kind of blend into the crowd. They need their own lanterns, then they need oil to fuel them. And even more than that, I think these, bri these bridesmaids have offended the bride and the groom by failing to be ready. I'm not, I don't know if there's a modern equivalent. Maybe if you lost your bridesmaid's dress, don't even show up wearing something that doesn't match. Or if you're the best man, you lose the ring. Um, if you're drunk or hungover, just don't come. And I think that's the sense you get. If you're not ready, you're not going to be included. Of course, so reading uh, verses 6 through 9, the, the foolish, unprepared girls turn to the, other, the wise ones who have brought enough oil. Let me read 6 through 9. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins, those virgins, rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. 
Now, the wise bridesmaids cannot share their oil because they don't have enough. They, they wouldn't have enough if they shared. If it, and, and maybe that's tripped you up. That's pretty selfish. Isn't Jesus got to teach us selflessness? Well, don't, don't get bothered by that point. Don't, don't try to stretch these details too far. But the idea is that um, you, you don't want to miss the point that everyone needs to be spiritually prepared on their own. You can't expect to turn to your friend, to a family member, to some other Christian you know, and ask them to bail you out. You can't borrow someone else's faith, which is the application of this passage, right? Either you're ready or you're not. Everyone must believe on his or her own not relying on someone else's faith. Uh, but either way, there are consequences for your preparation. And Jesus t- says what happens to the wise and to the foolish. Verses 10 through 12. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. So the foolish bridesmaids go. They go try to find somebody that's selling this this oil late at night, probably. And they completely miss the processional. And they don't arrive at the groom's house until after the gates have been closed, the wedding feast has begun. And finally, you see the detail that the foolish virgins are denied admittance by the groom himself. Now, the response of the groom, I don't know you, is the same response that we're going to see in two weeks. In my next passage, I'll be preaching on when Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. So we're going to remember that. And that idea of knowing you, it's, it's throughout the Scriptures. First uh, Timothy 2.19, Paul tells us that the Lord knows those who are His. Nahum 1.7 says, We are told that the Lord knows all those who fear Him. And John 10, Jesus says, He's the good shepherd. He knows His own, and His own know Him. So this is an intimate knowledge. When Jesus says he knows you, he is saying he is your savior. You have been included in his family in a saving way. And when Jesus says he does not know you, he's not saying that he's unfamiliar with you. He created you. He knows everyone. But he's referring to the fact that you're not in a saving relationship with him. And that's the consequence that the foolish bridesmaids suffer. They are shut out of the feast. Now what's the parallel here to life? How do people act like those foolish bridesmaids and and that they're not adequately prepared with enough oil? I think it's very easy for people to be unprepared. They, They live in denial that there is an afterlife or a heaven, or even if they think that there's a heaven, that God can't 
possibly hold their sins against them. Right? So they don't need to be forgiven of their sins. Or they think that their good works will save them. They think that someone else's faith will save them. Maybe they think there's another Savior besides Jesus or another way to achieve salvation. Maybe they think they have all the time in the world and they never get around to turning their lives over to Jesus. If you are operating under any of those assumptions, Jesus is telling you in His teachings that God is real, heaven and eternal life are real, but that not everyone, not everybody automatically gets there. Those who have no relationship with Him, who have no faith in Him, will not be able to dine with Him. The door will be shut to any who do not make it at the appointed time. But the good news is, you are invited to that feast. Verse 10 says, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. The beautiful picture. Those who are wise, who are prepared, are rewarded for their preparations. Those who are ready receive the rich reward. At the end, Jesus gives a command to end the parable. Verse 13. It's a challenge. He says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I don't think this means that we need to be constantly like checking the sky. Has Jesus come back yet? Did I miss it? Right? But you get that, maybe they get that sense to watch. Listen to how John Piper explains it. Watch means to be spiritually awake. Be alive and alert to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that He gives now. Use all the means God has given you to know Him and love Him and trust Him. Be filled with the oil of faith and joy and hope. That is to watch. The groom was a long time in coming. And the ladies, the all of the bridesmaids went to sleep. One commentator suggested that the groom was delayed because he, maybe he was still haggling over the bridal price with the bride's father. Or maybe he was just finishing up the arrangements for the feast or the ceremony. doesn't matter. Regardless of why he was late, this is the way that Jesus lets us know, reminds us his return will be a long time coming. And we can easily forget what we're supposed to be doing. We can get off track, lose focus, lose heart. We can forget the mission that he's called us to. Second Peter 3, uh, verses 3 and 8 and 9. I've printed a lot of these passages uh, very back of your outline there. Where is the promise of his coming. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But do not overlook this one fact 
beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Jeff and Tom, in their last two sermons, have been talking about how we wait for Jesus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But the law, and we're going to see more of that, chapter 25. But the long-awaited groom in this parable is the one who told it, Jesus. And his bride is his church. Bride's not really talked about in this, this parable. It doesn't matter. This is the analogy that is used so many times in Scripture. Uh, maybe it seems like a strange analogy to you for Jesus, to understand Jesus and his church. There are other analogies. I mean, obviously, you can resonate with God as Father and us as adopted sons and daughters. You can resonate with God as King and us as loyal subjects. But this is a strong analogy throughout the Scriptures. It's in the Old Testament with God and Israel, but it's very explicit in the New Testament. I've got a few Scriptures listed there for you in the outline. That John 3.29, John the Baptist is saying this. He says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So even before Jesus was on the scene, John knew that language. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, the Corinthians, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That's a beautiful way of thinking about the work of a pastor and evangelist is, is preparing Jesus' bride for him. And finally, Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and exalt. Give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wedding of the Lamb to His bride will be the greatest event we have to look forward to. If you think that the excitement, the expenses, the preparation planning for weddings these days is big, they are nothing compared to the excitement and the importance of the wedding in which God will bring His chosen people into eternal union with himself, through Jesus, the groom. It's Scripture's way of saying that we are God's beloved. Each of us is individually loved by God, but the church as a whole is his bride. All the redeemed saints of his invisible church will be united in a marriage bond for eternity. So Jesus is telling this and other parables surrounding it so that we do not miss out on that great day. So that we will examine our lives and ask whether we are truly converted 
followers of him, ready for his return, ready for that day. Because his love for his bride is not a whimsical, emotional pursuit of her. No, Jesus paid a price for his bride. He gave his life for her. Ephesians 5 explains it well. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You were bought with a price. The price of Jesus' sacrificial death. The death that beckons us to come, be healed, be cleansed, to await the day when we will stand before him and be brought into perfect love and union with our Lord for all of eternity. And all those who long to be ready and to enter into the wedding feast said, Amen. Take a moment to pray, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord God, thank you that you gave us these words that Jesus taught and his words were written down for us to read and to understand. Thank you that he told us what is in store for us at the end. Thank you that we don't have to guess. We don't know all the details, but Lord, You've told us that the end is beautiful. That our lives will be brought in with you. That we will spend eternity with you. When we are saved, our sins forgiven. That when you can say, you know us as our Savior. God, thank you for this parable. May we examine our own hearts to see whether we are faithful, whether we are prepared for that day. And thank you for the beautiful picture of your marriage, Jesus' marriage to his bride, the church that we are a part of. A church that started with sinful enemies, but that you transformed from corrupt to beautiful and clean. And we will celebrate with you on that great day, the wedding feast of the Lamb, and all spiritual blessings will be ours for eternity. Thank you for that beautiful picture. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.